0: This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete amongst us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. A second reading returns us to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and we're reading from verse 8. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this, Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another.
1: Thank you, Rick. We're spending some time looking at uh, a great passage, uh, John 15, this upper room conversation that Jesus has uh, just prior to going to the cross. And we're really unpacking what it means uh, to live a life of faith in Christ. And so last week, we looked at the first uh little slab from John 15, and this week we're moving on to the second one, and we're speaking of love. Now, I don't know how you feel about love, but I sense that our culture as a whole has a kind of ambivalence about it. Love, on one level, is wonderful, but on another level, is terrible. Love is compelling, but also repellent. Love enslaves and liberates. We have this kind of attraction to love like the moth to the flame. We love love, but we fear it. We long for it. Why are we afraid? Well, all you need to do is go into uh, modern songs and you'll find a litany of uh, an explanation of the fear that we have. One of my favourites, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. There's a few people old enough to remember Simon and Garfunkel, yes? Uh, Paul Simon wrote these words in I Am a Rock. He says, Don't talk of love, but I've heard those words before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock an island. You remember the the end of it? A rock feels no pain and an island never cries. We have this this weird relationship with love, we see it as so desirable, we are so wired and drawn into it and when we see it in action it is so compelling we want a piece of that but it also scares us. I, I tend to go along to people's weddings and I, um, I find I want to join their family at uh, at weddings Families are generally at their best, generally, uh, at weddings. And you kind of, you see that family and that love and you think, I love my family and my family's great, but I want to be part of your family too. We're drawn in. But then for some of us who've lived long enough, we know that our relationship with love is somewhat ambivalent. Why? I think love draws out our best. It draws out our most it calls on us and it almost involuntarily draws from us our most extravagant actions. When we love, we don't think about the cost. We just do it. And we give and we give, we give, we pour ourselves out extravagantly. But this makes us afraid because I might end up empty, withered, dried up, poured out. How can we love and yet not ending up emptied? How can we love and keep on loving? How can we have this positive relationship with love? Well, Jesus gives us the answer this morning in John 15 in the verses that Rick read for us. I've got three headings. Uh, True love, true love overflows and love one another. Now just to step back, we're putting this in the context of the the larger picture and you might remember if you were with us last week that Jesus introduces John 15 with a great image of life on the vine, doesn't he? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, if you remain in me you will bear much fruit. Now, uh, we get together on Monday as a staff team, and the other staff very graciously explained to me that I identified three points, and I didn't tell you last week where they came from, so I'm going to correct that. Uh, last week, we looked at the first of the fruit, that was the delight in God's word. This passage focuses on the second of the fruit, which is love for one another. And next week, the third fruit. Uh, witness in the face of resistance. But all of these fruit flow from our union by faith in Christ. We are branches of the vine and as we remain in him, these things will come about. And it's interesting to know that as we bear more fruit, the Father prunes us and so we bear more fruit. And so the fruit themselves promote greater fruitfulness as the Father is at work. So as we see fruit it is evidence that God is going to produce even greater things. But let's dive into our second fruit, love. Now, our culture has a lot to say about love, but I think our culture, by and large, gets things very, very wrong. They focus in on one narrow aspect of love, but the Bible's view of love is quite different. Our view of love, our culture's view of love is very Disney, isn't it? It's, it's princesses, it's fairy tales, it's romance, it's being swept off your feet. The language that we use about love, we fall into love like it's, it's an accident, it's inflicted upon us. Uh, but then we also fall out of love, don't we? Love disappears. We are almost victims of love. But that's not how the Bible pictures it. Jesus says in verse 9, He says, I, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus gives us the definitive example of love. If you want to know what love is, Jesus is saying, this is love. It's not a free for all. You can't just take the word and fill it with your own content and say, oh, this is how I think about love. Jesus says, this is love. This is the example. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then later he says, so you are to love one another. We need to understand how the Bible speaks of love. What does Jesus mean? As the Father has loved me. Well, it's there in 1 John 4, verse 9. God is love. God is love. Notice that he's not saying God is loving. He's actually saying God is love. How do we understand this? Because you can't talk about a person in isolation as love. That person can love others. But John here is saying in his very essence, God is love. Now, this only makes sense if you have the God of the Bible, who is Trinity. One God, three persons. One God, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is love because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit so caught up in each other, so delighting in each other, so focused on the other, that God in himself is love. And love seeks the good of the other. Love seeks what is best for the other. And so Jesus, in John 17, prays this prayer. He looks towards heaven and he prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Jesus doesn't seek his own glory. He asks the father to do what is best for the son so that he, as the son, might do what is best for the father he's seeking the ultimate good but what is the hour john 17 just before john 18 when jesus goes to the cross what is the hour the hour is his crucifixion that is the moment where the son brings glory to the father that is love in action that is the son in obedience submission to the father bringing him glory as he completes the work that the Father gave him to do. That is the Son loving the disciples. And so as Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. What's he talking about? Well, just a couple of hours earlier, perhaps, he said, you call me teacher and Lord, John 13, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now, that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet. Jesus, if you remember, went into the upper room and he took off his outer robe and he tied an apron around his his waist and he washed their feet. He served them. Now, you might think your feet are bad. Back in the ancient world, no sewers, no gutters, chucking rubbish and all sorts of stuff in the street, walking around in sandals, not nice sort of closed off shoes. Imagine what your feet would be like at the end of the day, okay? No nice antifungal creams to take away, the tiniers. it's disgusting. The slaves washed feet. Jesus shows his love to his disciples by serving them in this most menial way. And he says, I have set an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor the messenger greater than the one who sent me. Jesus washed their feet. As I have loved you, he served them. Guarantee, Jesus probably wasn't feeling particularly warm and fuzzy when he washed their feet. He washed Judas' feet. He knew who was going to betray him, and he served him. And as Jesus washed his feet, it prefigures the greatest act of love, the cross. So Jesus calls us, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And Romans 5, Paul, verse 5, he says, God's love, the love that the Father had for the Son, that the Son has for us, is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That love is made available to us. And Christ in John 15 says, remain in my love. Now, what does remaining in God's love, what does remaining in Christ's love actually mean? What does it look like? Well, I'm going to give you three things that it does. Christ's love secures us. It makes us safe. I don't know if you remember, if you had a Maybe some of us didn't have the best childhoods, but if you had a family that loved you, you felt safe in your family, didn't you? No matter what was actually happening out there, this was the place where they loved you. This was the place that they accept you. The love secured you, it gave you a foundation, it gave you a haven. And Christ's love for us does that to the nth degree. And it is his love for us, not our love for him that does that. And Christ's love does not change. He says, remain in my love. It is your security. But it also defines us. Love defines us. Our great loves do define us, don't they? Our relationships with one another. You know, John Farnham, remember, you know, that great Australian philosopher, we're all someone's daughter. We're all someone's son. You know, our relationships define us. But if you were to have to introduce yourself, you, you've been in those groups where you sort of uh, you spend three or four minutes with a whole bunch of strangers and you tell them about yourself. What are you telling them? Generally, you're telling them what you love. What you love. Your loves define you. So if you were sat down with me, I'd say I love reading. I love learning. I love my family. I love gardening. I love swimming. I love hiking I love, these loves define me. I went to a funeral during the week for Dean Trouse. I never met Dean but if you did know Dean, what was his great love? The magpies, Port Adelaide, that was his great love. The pallbearers worked out many of them wearing Port Adelaide caps. That defined him and Jesus says, as you remain in my love, you are defined by my love. And so John in 1 John will say, behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. Love defines us, it secures us, and it empowers us. What wouldn't you do for love? As I said, love draws out our most extravagant actions. Love in the Christian life empowers obedience. It's the thing that drives the train of discipleship down the tracks of obedience. Love empowers the life of faith. That's why Jesus says, my burden is light. He calls us to live for him. He calls us to live perfect lives. But then he tells us our burden is light because it is powered by love. And love will not count the cost. Love motivates and empowers. And true love, true love that we remain in, it overflows. I just said I, I love hiking. One of the things about hiking is often you walk into waterfalls. yes. You know, that's the thing and you love water flowing and you get those places that are like the cascades and so the water flows into one level and then down to another and down and you get this incredible vista. But this is what it's like in John 15 with God's love. As God's love flows into us, he says essentially it flows on. It doesn't stop with us. It doesn't remain with us. As God's love fills us, it overflows to fill others. And John unpacks that for us with three particular points. He says it overflows into obedience. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. What's Jesus saying? He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. And if you love him, to obey him is a great delight. Isn't it? To actually do something that someone that you love appreciates, has asked for you. Wow, what greater joy could that bring to us? To look to their good as Christ looked to his Father's good, to his Father's glory. As Jesus obeyed his Father and remained in his love, he calls on us to remain in his. And he tells us that as we do that, his joy may be in us. He delights in our obedience. And not only that, our obedience actually brings us joy. Your joy may be complete. Do we look at the life as a, of obedience as a, as a burden? The life of discipleship and submitting to Christ? Well, he's saying this is the path to peace. This is the path to joy that actually as we love Christ and we obey Christ, our joy is complete and his joy is in us. And what does he call us to do? He calls us to love one another. Now, I've put an amazing quote down there. Uh, it's a dangerous quote. It should have Handle With Care written on it by one of my favourite old dead people called Augustine of Hippo. I think living in a place called Hippo would be really cool. Uh, this guy was a a bishop in the ancient world and a theologian. And he looked at one John, and he looked at John, and he looked at Jesus' teaching on love. And he said, love and do whatever you want. Because if you love God, you'll want to do what he wants you to do. Love drives the whole Christian life. That's why Jesus, as we saw earlier, as we shared the Lord's Supper, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love drives the whole Christian life. And as we love God, it will overflow into obedience. Just as Christ loved the Father and obeyed and went to the cross for us. Just as his obedience gives us a perfect standing before the Father. What does this look like? What's the next flow on? It flows on into sacrifice. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down for one's friends. Now you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I've learnt from my Father I have made known to you. What does love look like? What does this command that Jesus has given us that we would love as he has loved us? It looks like sacrifice. Laying down your life. He gave us the ultimate example of giving his body and blood for us. But we can lay down our lives in lots of little ways, can't we? We can lay down our time. We can lay down our money. We can lay down our emotional investment. We can lay down our effort. We can lay down our blood. What does it look like? It looks like the parent up with the toddler for the fifth time in the night, desperately needing to sleep, but lovingly sitting with their distressed little one. What's it look like? It looks like the older couple staying together as he nurses her or she nurses him through an extended decline. It looks like a couple fighting to maintain the love in their marriage when so many things drive them apart. It looks like a friend saying a hard word because he does not want to see, she does not want to see the friend going off making stupid, costly, dangerous choices. It involves sacrifice. It is gritty. It is real. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down your life. That's what Jesus calls us to do. And that's what Jesus did for us. But the amazing thing here is he says, I no longer call you servants. A servant does not know his master's business. I call you friends. Amazing. Jesus calls us friends. It gives us an incredible confidence. Verse fifteen, uh, verse 16. He said, you did not choose me, I chose you. And appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This friendship that we have with Jesus gives us this incredible confidence. Two things. He chose us. We didn't choose him. As he picked out the 12, something that was totally out of character for ancient rabbis. Ancient rabbis would start to teach. If you like what they taught, you'd go and attach yourself to them. Kind of like these days, we enroll our children in schools. We choose, but imagine the principal came to you and said, your child is coming to my school. We'd go, ooh, but that's what Jesus did. He said, you follow me. He chose them and appointed them to bear fruit. It rests on his choice, his love, not their response. But then he calls them friends. Do you feel like you are friends with God? I reckon sometimes we do, when things are going well. Sometimes we can feel like a bit of an imposter, uh, like we're playing a game. That's when we lose sight of the fact that he has made the choice. One of, one of the movies I enjoy uh, watching whenever it comes onto TV is Catch Me If You Can. Have you, anyone seen this? It's the story of a guy called Frank Abagnale Jr., Uh, who is just a magnificent con artist. Uh, He basically, in the movie, and I think it reflects a true story, although somewhat loosely, uh, he passes himself off as a Pan Am pilot. Uh, He writes himself checks, paychecks. He gets a uniform. He flies around the country. Uh, He then uh, qualifies, I think, both as a doctor and as a lawyer from memory, Uh, totally fraudulently. And eventually the FBI catch him, Uh, he spends some time in jail and then he works for them, uh, teaching them how to catch people like him. Uh, But he is a great con. Do we feel like we are cons? He knew that he was not legit. Do we feel like that? Or do we feel more like this picture? Very famous picture, this is JFK in, in the Oval Office. And this is JFK Jr. under the desk. I don't have any rights to go into the Oval Office and play under the desk of the President of the United States or whatever the equivalent in Australia would be. He has every right to be there. Every right. And Jesus says, you have every right. You are my friends. You can ask my father, who he then in John uh, later in, in John tells us is our father. You can ask my God who is our God, we can have incredible confidence. The love cascades, it overflows into obedience, into sacrifice, into confidence. It overflows that we might truly love one another. And this is where he ends this little section. This is my command, love one another. Remember, he started in verse 9 telling us to rest, to remain, to abide in his love. And as we do that, as we, as branches remain in the vine, we will bear fruit. As we remain in his love, as we know his sacrifice for us, his status given to us, that we are friends, we are children. As we know that Christ has borne the cost of our sin and rejection be celebrated in the Lord's Supper. As we know this, the Spirit pours, Romans 5 verse 5, God's love into our hearts through the Spirit. As we know that, it fills us and it overflows that we might love one another. I want to give you a couple of things just as I wrap up, some practical things. Mark's talked about Some of the things we're doing as a church, the reintegration of 6 p.m. and 10 a.m., what a wonderful opportunity for love because no matter if you know every single person 10 o'clock who is part of the 10 o'clock gathering, you don't know the 6 o'clockers most likely and they're going to be turning up here and they don't know you either. It'll be an opportunity for them to love you and for you to love them as you get outside your comfort zone and actually welcome them. And not just say good day on the first day, but maybe say good day on the second day, and the third day, and the fourth day, and say, Come over, I'd love to get to know you better. Come and share a meal with me. Plug for guess who's coming for lunch. Plug for come along to Mark's uh, welcoming team meeting so that you can be part of actually integrating and loving and caring for our people. Welcoming. What else? Can I say, I've been around churches for a long time now. Uh, I've had the privilege of working for about six, seven, uh, and they're all the same. The danger for us, the danger for us in Australia, the churches that I've seen, is that we become religious consumers. Because when we go to the movie... We expect a movie, we pay our money. We don't have any relationship to those who are around us except for not to distract them too much, okay? When we interact in so many parts of our society, we do so as consumers. Do we do this as consumers? So we come to get what we want and then we go. We come to get only what we want and we will give what we think is tolerable. But can I say, does God's love for Christ, does Christ's love for us look like that? Does it set boundaries and say, "Ah, oh, you know, I'm happy with the foot washing, but the cross, no. There's no boundaries. Love does not count the cost. Do we come wanting to share life together. One of the dangers, and I know sometimes there's very good reasons for turning up for church late, but we can turn up late, we can leave early. Can I encourage you, reverse that. Turn up early, leave late. I would love to kick you out of here because our rental time uh, is coming to a close. Stay, invest in people's lives, get to know people better. Engage with one another beyond the idle chit-chat of the week. Join a growth group. How can we love each other? We can love each other by being more than friends. Now, I've been here at Trinity Church Brighton for long enough now. I know where you sit, okay? One of the things I do, I'm a visual kind of person, so I can mark the role uh, based on looking at all your lovely faces, looking at me over here, and I know where you sit. And most of you sit in pretty much the same spots you always sit. Okay, and why do you sit there? Well, I would suggest you sit there because of habit. You also sit there because possibly that's where your friends sit. Okay, that's great. But the interesting thing that I would like to challenge you with is that it's more than friendship. The friendship that really matters is the friendship that we have with Christ, And you know the saying, any friend of Phil's is a friend of mine or any friend of Jesus's is a friend of mine. So the people who sit on the other side from where you are, they are friends of Jesus. And so they should be friends of yours. So can I encourage you, a way practically to love each other is actually this week, if you're sitting here, actually don't just wholesale swap. Some of you move, some of you go that way, some of you go from the front to the back Find someone you don't know and say, hey, I'd love to sit with you. I'd love to chat with you. You don't know how much of a blessing that that can be. Cross over, not just in your peer groups, not just in your age groups, not just at the stage of life that you're at. One of the things I'm excited about the evening church joining the morning church and new gathering is that we have even greater diversity amongst us. And I think that's good. I think that's really good. We are to be more than friends. But brothers and sisters, we are also to remain in his love. As we love one another, we can't take it on as a law. As we love Christ, as we remain in his love, it will overflow. As we love what he loves, we will love who he loves. We will love each other. This is my command, love each other But as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. How do we do it? We take that gospel word deep. We share the Lord's Supper. We sing praises. We are regularly in the word of God and in prayer, meditating on his truth, assured by his promises, resting in his finished work, knowing his grace to us. And as the Father has loved Christ, he has loved us. Brothers and sisters, Trinity Church Brighton, remain in his love. Amen. I'm going to ask Jeff now to come up and he might lead us in prayer.